You're now tuned in to Sociology, a lifestyle brand that analyzes Chicago culture and connected topics abroad, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And I'm your host, Antoine Twiz-Taylor from True Stories Media. Gentrification has been a hot topic across the country for a long, long time now. But it resonates a little bit more when it's in your own backyard. Pilsen is a neighborhood on the lower west side of Chicago, and it's been a hot spot for gentrification for decades now. This sociology episode is divided into two halves. The first half, I talk with Dr. Carolina Sternberg. She's an associate professor and chair of the Latin American and Latino Studies Department at DePaul University. She's going to explain to us what is gentrification, what is non-white gentrification, what are the socioeconomic effects of both, and more. So, Dr. Sternberg, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how did you get involved in the field that you're involved in now? Yes, sure. Uh, thank you so much, Andrew, for inviting me in your to your podcast. My name is Carolina Sternberg, and I use she, her, hers as pronouns. And uh, yeah, I'm originally from Buenos Aires, Argentina. You may Pick that from my accent. Mm-hmm. I'm not uh, from the U.S. Uh, and I did my uh, bachelor's in geography and master's in public policy back in Argentina and moved to the U.S. Uh, around 2006 to pursue a Ph.D. in urban geography. And um, I've always been interested in studying urban policies and their impacts on the spatial organization of cities and more in particular how these urban policies profoundly impact working class communities and communities of, of color. Um, I actually continued my academic career at DePaul University, teaching introductory courses about Latin America and also doing research on this uh, topic on gentrification, um, both in, in Chicago and my hometown in Buenos Aires. Um, if we consider uh, gentrification as an urban policy, uh, we can understand that he has been uh, greatly impacted the lives and livelihoods of people of, of color and uh, working class um, populations in both cities. What exactly, can you explain to us, what is non-white gentrification? Like we hear the word gentrification a lot, but what exactly yeah. does that mean? What is non-white gentrification? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Uh, So this is a term that uh, my colleague Matthew Anderson and I used in a publication released in 2013 uh, about a specific type of gentrification happening uh, both in in our study in Pilsen and Bronzeville that goes parallel to uh, the the more mainstream white middle class gentrification. Um, So... Pilsen is, is still a predominant working class Mexican, Mexican-American neighborhood, but um, we understand that non-white gentrification in Pilsen could be attributed to a more affluent uh, second generation Latinx professionals who actually started buying and renovating property and businesses in the mid to late 2000, let's say, um, in Pilsen because they wanted to live where their parents or also grandparents used to live when they moved from Mexico to Chicago uh, during the the post-war period. So um, they wanted to reclaim their roots by living in Pilsen. Uh, And one thing to note is that even if these were a, a small number of purchases and renovations compared to 
to what um, what happened with the white middle class. Um, these these uh, purchases and renovations continued pushing property values up and displaced families in Pilsen. Um, one thing to that I think it's very interesting to mention is that uh, this generation started calling themselves the Mapis, uh, meaning Mexican Yapis. Okay. There's uh, there's an article actually in the Chicago Tribune from 2009 where uh, the reporter interviews Maya Solis, the daughter of former Pilsen alderman Danny Solis, and she says that she likes to call herself a Mapi. So this reference to the um, the non-white gentrification, or or the uh, we can call it the Latinx uh, gentrification. But um, I think it's important to know that this this type of gentrification, the non-white uh, gentrification, in the case of Pilsen, the Latinx gentrification, uh, is still very emergent or incipient, and should not by by no means should be compared to the lar larger white middle class uh, gentrification that has been happening in Pilsen since the um, 1990s. I also wanted to refer just a little bit uh, to the case of Bronzeville. The non-white gentrification there is a bit more complex, but let's say that after the city demolished almost the entire housing projects in Bronzeville, uh, more precisely the Robert Taylor Homes, the uh, price of the land there went up and black middle class homeowners and construction companies uh, literally saw this as an opportunity to make a lot of profit and started de redeveloping specific blocks along State Street, building a very large condominium complex, some of them very luxurious and of course, and affordable to the long-term residents in Bronzeville. When it comes to non-white gentrification, so it's, it's kind of like two different forms of gentrification taking place concurrently, right? Is, mm -hmm. That's what it sounds like. So you have non-white gentrification with the second and third generation Latino ex uh, residents that are um, buying up property, um, continuing to live in the neighborhoods that they grew up in, the neighborhoods that they known all their lives, which one mm -hmm. can say is a good thing um, because it's kind of preserving the culture. But then on the other side of the coin, you have white gentrification. Um, does this kind of like create a clash in these neighborhoods, specifically Pilsen, would you say? Or like, does it blend seamlessly? Yeah, that's a really interesting point. Um, so uh, I don't think it, it blends uh, okay. really well. I would say that... Um, any type of gentrification is, is really destructive, uh, especially in Pilsen, that I was going to mention that um, it's estimated that Pilsen lost around 10,000 Mexicans, Mexican-Americans were displaced from uh, 2000 to 2010. So um, even if it's... Um, it's, it's the ethnic is man, the ethnic population is 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 kept is maintained. I think uh, both both any type of gentrification is very destructive uh, to uh, to uh, working class neighborhoods and especially um, uh, neighborhoods where there is predominantly uh, community of color, especially because they've been living there mostly since. Um, 1920s or I would say more 1950s and there are long-term mm. residents that have built their roots there, built their community, built their connections and being displaced um, 
yeah, these these ten thousand Mexicans and Mexicans Americans uh, that had been displaced, they had to start from scratch. Um, uh, yeah, they had to start from scratch elsewhere, and they lost their uh, networks, community, uh, sense of community, and sense of belonging. Right. So, um, I think from from community meetings and and, and articles I've been reading. Um, this type of non-white gentrification is also very harmful uh, to long-term residents. As far as the harm goes, uh, the socioeconomic, socioeconomic effects on these residents is kind of like, um, you know, is it just like the property values going up, which of course makes the rent goes up, which, um, you know, makes property taxes go up. And some of these residents who have lived here for years um, mm-hmm. probably have their properties paid off, right? Uh, so all they're paying is property taxes, but now, you know, the income that they're bringing in can't cover these property taxes. Is that a form of, you know, the effects? Yeah, well, I I would like to actually do a, a short chronology of, of this, of the socioeconomic okay. effects, uh, so listeners could understand these effects a little bit more clear, uh, clearly and also uh, uh, give some sort of periodization of how things happened. Um, so gentrification in Pilsen started since the early 1990s when an ethnic white homeowner uh, started buying rundown houses along Halston Street and converted them into lofts and art galleries attracting a more affluent population. Um, since the early 2000s, gentrification advanced at a fast pace with the expansion of UIC campus that is bordering Pilsen in the north and was primarily led by white middle-class faculty and students looking for affordable housing to live close to uh, UIC campus. Also, uh, in parallel, small and big developers started um, buying property along the 18th Street and turned them into upscale uh, condominiums. So not only these new constructions weren't affordable for the long-term residents, but they pushed rent prices up and property ta- taxes that long-term residents could not afford anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I mentioned, it is estimated that from 2000 to 2010, 10,000 Mexicans and Mexicans Americans were displaced from their ho- uh, houses, uh, and uh, they they have to look elsewhere to live, especially to um, they moved to Elgin, Cicero, Berwyn, and Midwest, um, most um, southwest suburbs. So uh, the Latinx gentrification uh, came came later, uh, late, uh, I would say mid to late 2000, and it actually uh, uh, fueled this this type of white-led gentrification or, and, and also went in parallel to this white-led gentrification, and um, it, it provoked the same uh, socioeconomic effects that uh, they pushed um, properties up, uh, property taxes up or, or rent or rent prices up and um, the the consequences are are, are as I, I mentioned that uh, they uh, yeah uh, long-term residents that been renovating their houses that have been working in the neighborhoods and, and building community uh, lost completely their roots why is Pilsen such a hot um, location 
for these forms of gentrification. You mentioned UIC, which, mm-hmm. you know, um, right. everyone in Chicago knows UIC is right by Pilsen. So those of you who do not live in Chicago, UIC is a university literally right mm-hmm. by Pilsen. Yeah, actually, no, it's it's actually, it's not just Pilsen. It's everything that is adjoining uh, what we call it the downtown Chicago, all the central business district, uh, all those properties, the, the pressure for gentrification is moving uh, west and uh, further west. So Humboldt Park is not, it's been affected by gentrification, especially the east uh, Humboldt Park. And also uh, Garfield Park uh, has been um, not, not uh, in the same um, manner or the same intensity as Humboldt Park and, and Pilsen, but Garfield Park is also has been impacted by uh, white-led uh, gentrification. Mm-hmm. But uh, to respond to your question about Pilsen, um, the, at the, how, how is, is, is um, become a, a hotspot, as you said, for gentrification? One, as you mentioned, um, is the UIC campus that keeps expanding. And of course, faculty and, and, um, and, and, and students want to live close uh, to, to where they study or they uh, work. And of course, they want affordable housing. And uh, Pilsen is still predominantly affordable, and that is very attractive. Plus, as I mentioned, it's only 20 minutes from downtown Chicago. So yeah. you, have, uh, you have all the, all, all the cultural life, all the uh, attractions, all the um, you know, uh, business, business is close to, close to Pilsen, just 20 minutes away. Um, and also, it's a, a, very, uh, a very cultural community uh, in terms of public art and art galleries. Uh, and that, that is really fueling the, the interest of uh, middle upper class uh, people, especially it's targeted, Pilsen is targeted as, as the, the hipsters, you know, community. Uh, hipsters tend to, they, they, they understand, uh, Pilsen community understand that hipsters are, fl- uh, are, are going there just to, to, you know, to experience the, the public art, the, the art culture uh, while they, um, while they pay really low amount of, 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 of rent. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's this, this, these three aspects that is really close to downtown there. Uh, also I, I was mentioning public art, but also the food is really, um, is really, is really attractive to a lot of, of, of incomers. Uh, the Mexican food is, is, is something that, uh, a lot of Americans value and especially, uh, being, being really, really affordable, food that is authentic and really affordable, it's a very attractive aspect. And um, yeah, all these things make make Pilsen. And the fact, of course, that as I mentioned, that affordable, it's, it's still very affordable in terms of rents and, and, and in terms of property taxes makes them, this even even better for, for people that want to settle in there um, but also for developers that can make a lot of a lot of profits. Are the residents getting any opportunities from the growth that's uh, happening there? The the community in Pilsen is very active. They've been stalling a lot of redevelopment um, projects. And uh, if it wasn't for how active the community is, uh, a lot of redevelopment 
uh, initiative uh, would have most likely pushed even more people out from the neighborhood. And and so they are, they've been active to stall these redevelopment projects, but also to push for, um, to, to kind of negotiate with developers and businesses to leave um, jobs for the residents, right? And that mm -hmm. has, hasn't been uh, very successful. Um, Alderman, current Alderman, um, Byron Sitcho, uh, he, he's, he, he's been trying really hard since he stepped in as Alderman to uh, protect the, um, the, the jobs for uh, local people, but that has been uh, hard. However, um, what they, they've been successful in doing um, in Pilsen was to uh, ask developers to actually, it's, it's, it's part of, of it's, it's a law actually, or ordinance in Chicago that new developments of, I think 10 units, I might be wrong about the number of units, but at least uh, mm -hmm. for a new construction of 10 units, uh, at least 20% of the units should be, should be uh, designated as affordable. Affordable meaning that it has to be uh, below the, the market rates. Um, so this, this is an effort, uh, something that, that continues happening. Although uh, Pilsen residents or long-term residents, they usually... Uh, try to also protect the the mom and pops businesses. They try to uh, purchase things and, and and buy coffee and everything from uh, people that are local, right? They try to to protect the businesses. This is something that is very um, interesting in Pilsen that they they uh, it's not that they boycott they boycott um, uh, chains, but they they always try to alert newcomers and uh, on. And, and tourists and visitors to uh, to buy and 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 get get food or get uh, small things from local businesses and not from chains. That's that's a way also to to protect uh, the the jobs um, in Pilsen and keep that community going. You know, exactly. uh, yeah, yeah, keep it intact. So, what do you what do you see things headed in the future? Um, you know, five mm -hmm. ten years from now. Yeah. Uh, so. I, I don't think yeah, it will completely change uh, the community uh, because, as I mentioned, it has the, the community has been highly active, I would say, since 1950s when they first moved uh, in Chicago uh, for other, other purposes. But um, since the late 1990s, when gentrification started moving at a fast, fast pace, uh, uh, the community was was able to to stall a lot of of redevelopment projects and, mm -hmm. and pushing for affordable housing and uh, well as I mentioned pushing um, keeping keeping their uh, mom and pops businesses uh, locally and and so they've been so um, so strong and now with the alderman that actually represents them they i don't think um the the community will will change completely because of this activism they actually to, just to to mention one of the projects uh, the last big project it wasn't a uh, it wasn't a redevelopment initiative though but uh the the chicago city council uh, created the pilsen historic landmark 
that would protect um, 900 historic buildings. And I've read about that. Yeah. Yeah, and the um, the active community, along with the uh, with Byron Sitko, the new alderman, uh, were able to stop the project because it would have led to even more gentrification. So to explain this a little bit more, even if historic buildings that date from uh, early 1800s weren't really protected against uh, demolition for, for, I don't know, for how long, this designation would, uh, would have only forced many long-term residents to sell their homes because the additional expenses um, uh, a landmark destination uh, would have imposed to residents living in this area would have been incredibly uh, high, right? Mm. Uh, the, uh, this historic destination, what it does is it has to create more more expensive to the homeowners and they're, these, these people are working class people and cannot afford uh, more, more expenses like um, renovations or any other things that actually they could apply for loans, but the interest and, 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 and the, um, the deposit that it requires, it's, it's really unaffordable. It's, wow. it's onerous. Yeah. So even though this um, will protect the properties, it's still, in a sense, pushing residents out. Right. Yes. And, and that's why I'm I'm happy that this this was um, this was turned down. No matter where you turn, it's still going to be problems. I mean, in this world and in this life, is always going to be problems, right? But right. you know, mm-hmm. it's just it's kind of sad, you know, because so many people they really have no option. You know, um, it is a great thing that there are still a lot of Latino ex uh, residents there that are um, making big moves. You know, mm-hmm. um, that are. They accumulated success and they're keeping the community going, but it's always going to be those that you know get the short end of the stick. It's always yeah. going to be that. Yeah, but I'm I'm positive because uh, again the community is really strong and they know what they want and and they want to preserve their uh, sources of labor, their housing, yeah. and uh, they have now now that they have a, an alderman that represents them. Uh, I I think. It won't be easy for developers or or the city to to put to keep pushing them out. Um, so I'm That's I'm great. I'm very hopeful and positive that it won't turn into a Lincoln Park campus or Lincoln Park area. That actually Lincoln Park lost all their um, their Puerto Rican community. They moved. They had to move elsewhere. Have they mostly now? They mostly live in 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 Humble Park. That was Dr. Carolina Sternberg. Now we're going to talk with Jose Perez, who's a lifelong resident of Pilsen, who still resides there to this day. He's an entrepreneur, and he's going to tell us his thoughts on gentrification and the progress the neighborhood has made. All right, Jose, um, tell us about how long have you been at Pilsen? Let's start there. Like, how long have you lived in that neighborhood? Uh, first of all, first and foremost, Anton, I, I wanted uh, to thank you for uh, allowing me to tell my story. Um, yeah, no problem. But actually, yeah, I actually have been in Pilsen for 45 years. 45 years. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And so, um, I, think I think I'm the second wave, though, of um, Latinos that actually came into, uh, into Pilsen way back when, from the stories that I've been told before the second wave okay so when was the first wave 
So from what I've gathered, it was in the um, late 60s. Okay. Right? Uh, middle to late 60s. And so um, they had already, uh, you know, because when we came, there was already a big uh, Latino population in Pilsen. Mm-hmm. So, and that was in 75. 75. So you arrived in 75, and this was with your family. Who? How many people were in your family? At that time, actually, there was uh, three of us only. So it was my parents and then um, my older brother and older sister. So we're okay. currently nine in total now. You know, tell us about how the neighborhood was in the 70s or the early 80s, you know, from as far as you can remember. How was the neighborhood in Pilsen back then? Well, back in the uh, in the 70s, from what I recall, it, it wasn't such a such a good neighborhood the way everyone um, makes a scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of people always talking about, you know, taking it back to how it was before. But when you talk to the people that actually lived in those times, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't a neighborhood you wanted to actually uh, live in. It was ignored by pretty much everyone. Uh, no one really would say. Well, first and foremost, it wasn't considered Pilsen. Nobody nobody knew it as Pilsen back then. It was considered 18th Street. 18th so Street. So Pilsen, right. yeah, yeah. Pilsen is something new, maybe in the last 10 years that they kind of categorize it under, but everything was 18th Street, just like La Villita was always called 26th Street. It was never called La Villita. Mm-hmm. Um, so back then, I mean, it, it was crime-ridden. There was um, nothing but gangs. Um, be, I would say as soon as you got off the highway on the 18th Street ramp between there, which is right around Canal Street, to Western, yeah. I mean, there must have been 40, 50 bars liquor stores so it was nothing to be to be proud of but obviously it was our home and um and just like everything else you you can you can uh you can make it better but it wasn't something that uh like i said um that it was something that that these people who are talking about wanting to go back to those times is is, is not something that i would love to do um by the time i was graduating high school i think i must have attended easily 15 to 20 funerals of my friends and colleagues stuff like that yeah yeah it was again it wasn't a pleasant uh, area to be on wow 20 funerals so you graduated high school at what point did you notice the neighborhood starting to change so based off everything you just told us is something that you know seems very very horrific, right? Like you always got to look over your shoulder, you know, um, a neighborhood that was basically in despair. Um, But like you said, it was home and we always love home. At Mm -hmm. what point did you started to see things changing? In the late nineties. Well, it was always, there was always that whisper where everyone kept saying, because we were so close to UIC. And And you guys had, Pilsen was created because UIC basically was, you know, constructed, right? Because a lot of the Mexican-Americans yes. that lived where UIC stands today had to relocate to where Pilsen is currently, correct? Yes, and that, that was uh, part of the first wave of immigrants that came here that were Latinos. Um, yeah. They're the ones that can tell you about that, but in the other side of the, of the tracks, which is like 15, 14, um, going up to like uh, Roosevelt, um, all the way from uh, Halstead to Racine, 
um, all that area there was actually properties that they actually knocked down and leveled completely. And USC was, um, they, they took it over. So I don't know if they, uh, I mean, it domained it or what they did exactly, but that's where the old Jewtown used to be. Mm -hmm. uh, so, or the flea market, what they call it now, but it was called Jewtown back then. Yeah. But yeah, yeah it was, um, it was completely different back in the, in the 2000s. Again, the whispers started getting a lot louder. Uh, people were saying that, you know what, USC is going to start something. They're going to do something. And sure enough, once they broke ground, uh, Pilsen started becoming, um, being put on the map more often than what it was before. Demographics of the neighborhood started to change, right? They started moving up. But here's the thing. A lot of people don't, they only talk about one side of it, right? Okay. Um, which is a lot of people were moving on and they were trying to move out. Um, when we were young, people were moving out to back of the yards because that area was nothing but Polish and you got your front yard and it was, you know, you had your, your front lawn looking really nice. You had your backyard, you had your two-car garage. So when someone actually either got a promotion or was able to get their family out, we never looked at it like, oh my God, you know what I'm saying? They're just kind of, they're leaving us. We were actually not only proud, but very supportive of the people, of the families that were actually moving to a much better place. Uh, but now you can see what it is now. So um, again, I mean, most of our, most of our neighbors were Latinos. It was, it was a little bit of, of, of Latinos, African-American. Very rarely did you see uh, any, any white people around. But now in the 90s, that's when the shift started coming. Mm -hmm. And they started noticing, um, I believe, just because of the location of where Pilsen's at, because it's so convenient when it comes to the highways. I mean, you can yeah. jump on any highway, 90, uh, 55, you can go down Lakeshore Drive. Everything is, is here, and you're two minutes away from Little Italy, uh, Chinatown, uh, you name it. Um, it's right here, Greektown. So... I think that played a big factor, and UIC, of course, um, where people started uh, investing and putting, again, Pilsen on the map. Have you, have you noticed any major cultural changes in your neighborhood? So we talked about how it used to be and, like, the bad things, but I'm sure everything wasn't always bad, right? Um, has there been an effect on the cultural changes in Pilsen as a result of gentrification? Can you speak on that? Like, have you seen any of, the, any of that? You know what? It, it's hard to believe, but this is my personal opinion. But back in the day when um, when I was growing up in Pilsen, um, we weren't actually allowed, or even more than anything, um, when we would speak Spanish, there would be lots of times when we were in uh, in, in school because there would there wasn't any Latino. Um, teachers at that time, or any minorities per se, uh, a lot of the teachers wouldn't allow us to to speak in Spanish. And I recall how if they if they caught you speaking Spanish, they would send you to the principal's office or send you home, or even worst case scenario, they would actually um, place us in autistic classes. So Wait, they would place you I mean, in an autistic class yeah, for speaking your yeah, native yeah. tongue, just for speaking wow. our yeah. Spanish and so um, a lot of my buddies and everything like that one time I actually you know was there for a couple of days but again that, that's the way they would punish us right 
for uh, for speaking uh, Spanish. So to uh, to us, I, it seemed like you know we should be ashamed of our culture and our history. And nowadays, it, that's not the case. So I don't know if it's the fact that because of the the, the change that's happening in Pilsen, but I can tell you this: um, this new generation. They didn't go through what we went through, uh, the trials and tribulations, um, and 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 I think that's a great thing uh, because now I see our culture being embraced more, not only um, from from our own people but also other people um, that actually uh, enjoy it, and, um, and 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 I think it's a lot easier and a lot more easier to be proud of, of where you came from. Than it was before. I'll I'll tell you that's that's crazy as hell. That they will they will literally put you guys in autistic classes, or you know, yeah. punish you, give you detention for speaking your native tongue. Um, it it's kind of sick, you know. Uh, I'll just be honest, like you know. So mm-hmm. when you look at it from that perspective. Of course, it you know it is definitely a great thing that the culture is being embraced more in Pilsen, um, but not just Pilsen, but the Latino culture in general is being embraced more. You know, right? Uh, it seems like. Do do you do you worry though that it's a fine line between embracing it and appropriating it, or you know, like how do you discern that? Yeah, it, that's a tough question because at the end of the day, uh, and it really depends um, where you come from, yeah. because there's not one way, like just uh, a perfect example, Dia de los Muertos, right, which is um, Halloween here for the U.S. It's it's celebrated in different ways in different states, right, of Mexico. So okay. for someone, uh, I mean... For, for people to to actually, um, I guess, find a way to, I guess, offend. Uh, offend us. It's, it's kind of difficult because certain things, I mean, I don't find it offensive. But if you're from a certain part or a certain state, yes. You know, like, mm-hmm. man, talk to the day. I really don't care. You know what I'm saying? At the end of the day, if if that gets people to come out and support the the, the Mexican restaurants or just the Latino restaurants, then let it be, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, it's not degrading in any which way. It's just the way they've embraced it, right? Um, and they celebrate certain things that we don't celebrate. But that hey, that's cool, you know, if we're able to turn that and make something positive out of it. At the end of the day, um, it's, supporting, it's supporting the businesses, which in turn support um, the community, which also supports their employees. And it's just a trickle effect to, to everyone. But, I mean, there are some times where um, um, certain things come out that, uh, that I don't think is appropriate. But I think that those are, those are few and far between. And the individuals that, that uh, think like that, I think they're stuck in the past. And eventually, um, they'll come around. But it's been, it has been a 180 here in Pilsen. WBEZ, they were talking about how they're trying to establish a historic district there in Pilsen to protect somewhat like almost 500 buildings um, in Pilsen. What do you what do you think about that? Because I know a lot of residents they they're kind of iffy about it because they believe that you know obviously it's gonna 
um, raise prices on a lot of things, you know, a lot of, um, you know, red tape when it comes to regulations for small businesses, you know, things like that. Um, you know, it's kind of like a catch 22 in a sense because the historic district can protect the buildings, but then some residents are worried that, you know, it's going to continue to push working class families out because prices are going to continue to go up property value, rent, you know, all of those things. What, what do you think about all of that? Well, you, there, there's a positive to what they were trying to come up with, and I understand, to, to keep this type of, um, of demographic or as far as the buildings are concerned, right? But they, they just went about it completely wrong, where, where the community found out of it because of somebody, you know, kind of heard about it instead of coming out and actually um, being more public about it. So, so it was that kind of left. Yeah, so it was kind of like, oh, we're going to vote on it next week or something like that. You know what I mean? Wow. And everybody's like, what? What's going on? You know, um, even to um, to the point where um, I actually the alderman uh, wasn't even aware of what, what was happening. So that wow. pretty much, it kind of started off wrong. And I see sometimes what their intentions are, but sometimes when you come off that way, I mean, most people are already turned off by just the way um, the way it started. So I see, because I also have uh, properties in Pilsen, so I see the importance of, okay. of keeping the originality of, of, of Pilsen. Uh, and that's great and everything, but I'm also for change. Um, we can't leave everything the same because if that, that ends up being, then we, we're not going to progress. So change is good, right? Uh, when it's when it's progression, um, because a lot of these buildings are, are are very old, and a lot of these buildings, um, they just some of them shouldn't really still be around. If you know what I mean, um, I, I've gone into a lot of buildings yeah. that I know have structural damage, right? And you have to be really good at, as far as being able to catch that. Um, so should those be saved? You know what I'm saying? Because the cost of, mm-hmm. of, of doing that and then the cost of doing it the way the regulations are being um, not, not even asked but implemented, it becomes very costly. So, um, and then just kind of what what uh, what I heard was just to the contractors to get the work done that needed to, let's say, do any update or, or whatever work they were going to get done, there was going to be a list of contractors that they would use. Um, and a lot of these contracts weren't even from Pilsen. So, oh, again, wow. so there was a lot of, fortunately, a lot of things that the community didn't uh, didn't like. And more than anything, they just weren't even asked. They were just like, yeah. you know, forced into. And so that's when they rallied together and, uh, and were able to overturn it and not let it be. You say you own property in Pilsen. Uh, how, how many properties do you own there? Uh, well, within the family, I think we have about 12 properties in Pilsen. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, yeah. That that strip of liquor stores that you mentioned earlier, are they still there? No, no. There's only uh, a few of them. After uh, Mayor Daly Jr. came around, uh, he started closing them down. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so thank you know, thank God for that. But no, no, there's 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 a few of them, um, but nothing what they they used to be before. A lot of them they just either became either restaurants or just shut down completely um, because it was a mix of 
uh, bars and liquor stores. So a yeah. lot of the bars, they've actually, very few of them, um, they were still able to salvage the green room. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but that's right on the, uh, off the corner of um, Outport and 18th Street. So that was completely, you know, taking taking a business that was around even from when I remember um, when we were here and then just, you know, completely remodeling the place, change, changing it up. And it's really nice. I've gone there a couple of times and um, uh, completely different than what it was before um, to just um, punch room, uh, punch house, I'm sorry, you know. Uh, that was non-existent. That, that used to be uh, more of a, a retail store for the church. So there's a, there's a lot of positive things that have happened in Pilsen, which has has brought um, not only businesses, but you know when businesses come, they also bring employ employees. So and employment. So it's a good thing. But um, but yeah, a lot of them aren't aren't around um, that, that that were around way back when because they were shut down. We as a society, we love to talk about the American dream, right? Quote unquote. Um, one can say that you're living the American dream, right? You live in Pilsen your entire life. You've seen it, what it used to be. You see what it is now. You and your family, you own over 10 properties. Um, you have your own insurance firm, correct? Um, yeah. How important is it for, and, and, I, and I read that you're very active in Pilsen. So how important is it for you to, give back to your community and, you know, basically show that you're a walking example that you can be successful? Well, I'm a big, big advocate that um, really you can, you can determine your own destiny. And that was something that was just taught by my parents. Um, when we came here, we didn't have any papers. So um, obviously our struggles were a little bit harder than others, but at the end of the day, this country, you, you can do anything if you set your mind to it. And I know it sounds like a cliche, but it really is true. Uh, I literally just um, just kind of started into real estate because my sister got us into it. And from there, once you surround yourself with the people that you need to surround yourself, which is pretty much the naysayers, and um, there's a lot of people that will always give you advice, but I think it's internal advice. Um I used to get advice all the time when I was um, looking to buy a, a commercial mixed-use building. Those are probably one of the most difficult ones to purchase because there's more down payment and obviously their structure completely different. But I'll be honest with you, if you were, if I were to listen to the people that were telling me that I'm not going to qualify for the loan, that I shouldn't be getting it, or whatever the case is, I think they were just kind of telling me internally how they feel. And yeah, it did take a while, but it, uh, I was turned on by about five or six different banks. But that last bank, they took us, you know, and they gave us the loan. So that's why within a certain, I would say within about five years, I probably purchased about four properties, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a monumental task because just to even purchase one property. But again, when you surround yourself with the people that are able to mentor you and, and guide you in the right direction, and it goes, and it goes the same thing with my farmers insurance agency. Um, I'm going on my 13th year, and um, 2020 actually was um, one of our best years. And it's yeah. just because I just had that mentality where, okay, I understand everything else is um, is bad, but what do we have control over? And if you focus on that, 
you're able to accomplish more than if you just literally focus on the negative all the time. But people say Pilsen is tapped out. Oh, you know what? It's too late to invest. It's not too late. It's just not, you're not going to be able to invest just by yourself. But if you and you get two of your buddies or three of your buddies come together, then you can still purchase something, right? And then still be able to, to make profit because everybody knows that real estate with inflation, um, eventually over the course of years, you're going to make your return back plus profit. So more financial literacy, that's what the LSS as minorities, we have to be taught from, from, um, from a young age. And, and that's, that's, uh, that's something that, that, that isn't so common. So that's why whenever I get a chance, I'll be more than glad to, to tell people pretty much all the tricks that I have or everything that I've learned so that they can use it and be able to build their legacy for, for themselves and their family. Last question. Well, second to last question. Let me ask you, where do you see Pilsen going in the next 10, 15 years? That's my second to last question. Then I'll give you my last question. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's a good question. I mean, I don't, I don't see it. I, I don't see it being any any more different than um, the Lincoln Park. To be honest, I, I see everything moving towards that, where um, the high end shops, the Starbucks, are going to be starting to come around, right? Because um, even though it it's gentrified, right, and there's still a big Latino community, a big minority community. So as long as the people that purchased the properties 20 years ago they maintained their properties and you know they know how to financially be able to get at the most from their properties like the tenants and everything like that there should be no reason for them to be to be leaving because they could always be adjusting their their rent so i truly believe that eventually it'll get to what lincoln park is but just with a little bit more swagger to it and the very last question where's the best food in pilsen who has the best oh, food? See, that's that's difficult. That's a lot of question because <laughs> if, if anything, I mean, that's why there, there's, it's not just uh, Mexican food here. Um, you have uh, anything from uh, Mexican to American bistro to um, Chinese food. Um, I think there uh, there's a sushi restaurant that opened up um, on Blue Island. So yeah, yeah, okay. okay. Oh yeah, it, it, it's that's what that's what a lot of people don't understand. It's not just Latin food anymore. So one of the restaurants I think that opened up a couple of years back, and he's on his second restaurant now. He used to work for uh, Rick Davis, right? Um, and he opened up his his own uh, restaurant. So if you like that type of food, I mean, that's something that he kind of you know what uses a lot of the. A lot of the recipes that I think he he probably learned from Rick, and they just kind of uh, put a twist on it. So down the street from there, there's a great uh, burger place that it's kind of like the mom and pop place, but I mean the burgers are are much better than Portillo's. So wow. yeah, the beauty about Pilsen is when you have a moment, come by and really uh, just explore it for yourself. Because uh, from block to block, it's completely different. And you'll find completely different things. And what's the name of this burger place again? Man, you know what? I've been there a couple of times. Um, but it's between, it's on 18th Street between Wood and, um, and Damon, 
right? Uh, the north, just across the street from Harrison Park, brother, right in the middle. Uh, you can't miss it, but uh, uh, I mean, they, they got some really, really good burgers there. So, not your average burger. Yeah, I'll find it. I would definitely find it. If you enjoyed this episode, I ask for two things as always. Number one, leave a five-star review. And number two, pass it on to a friend who may enjoy it as well. And don't forget to subscribe to our other podcast, Mogul Motivation, from True Stories Media.